I've got a couple of really cool stories of how, you know, to be part of the God's family is to be part of this incredible co-creating thing that God is doing in the world. Could you share a couple of those stories? Absolutely happy to. Uh, we focused here at KGF in the last few years on it's more than a shoebox. And for me, it's all about uh, changing lives for eternity and, and being part of that in, in the community of God. <clears throat> and uh, so when I look at the stories, uh, it, it's always interesting to know that what do you put in a shoebox? Well, we had a Connect volunteer who struggled with what to put in a shoebox because she was going on a trip to see her shoebox given away. And she put five pencils in a shoebox. And then she thought, well, no, that's really not much of a Christmas gift. So she took them out. God spoke to her and said, no, put them back in. Long story short, she gets over and watches her shoebox be given away in a very, very poor part of, of the Eastern Europe. And this girl opens this shoebox, takes out the pencils, and quickly stuffs them under her shirt. And so she goes to the interpreter and says, can we go and talk to her and find out what that's all about? And the story is that this girl had been so uh, poor that she couldn't have pencils to do her, her uh, schoolwork. And she had prayed to God that God would answer her prayer and show her that he cared for her by giving her some pencils. <laughs> and she came to know Jesus because of that. <laughs> so this gal, who was a Connect volunteer, obeyed the word, uh, obeyed God's spirit, and this gal came to know the Lord. Hmm. Or a different story uh, that God can use anybody, anywhere. There's a, another Connect uh, group that does the same thing we do, and they collect stuff. And their church has a rather unique ministry. They uh, allow some folks from the East Indian community down in their part of the world to come in and use their church to play cards and socialize. Collection week comes. You, peaks, you people have seen what collection week is like. It's mayhem. There's thousands and thousands of boxes coming in, people coming in the door, going out. And they started to ask, well, what's this all about? What is going on here? So the community shared with them what Operation Christmas Child was about, what the shoeboxes were out, what their purpose was, was to introduce people to God and to Jesus. And they said, well, can we help with that? And they said, sure, what would you like to do? They gave that group nearly $1,000 to go out and buy gifts, okay, so that kids could come to know Jesus. <laughs> so it's those types of things that the community, the broadest community and the narrowest community of God can be part of <laughs> seeing kids' lives change forever. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah, so <laughs> thanks, Paul. When, when we're part of the kingdom, we're part of God's creating work around the world. And it's right here and it's everywhere. And sometimes we don't know how we're being a participant in that. And so Operation Christmas Child, here's your seed. It's coming. The word Christmas, you heard it. Okay. So uh, in the next few weeks, you watch for the launch of this and invite, invite people into it. You never know how that's part of something God's creating in somebody's life and how you're meant to be a part of that. Paul, would yeah. you pray for us as a church this morning? You would bet. You do that? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have chosen us, that you have redeemed us, yeah. and that you have brought us into this community. 
Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to the things that you want to do with each one of us. Father, we pray that we wouldn't be surprised when you answer prayers beyond what we can ask or imagine. Hmm. Father, I want to pray now for Phil as he opens your word and communicates to us. Father, may our hearts and our ears be open, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you. Yeah, I just throw it on the front there. Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to those of you who are online with us this morning. Uh, when, when, I, when I was 10 years old, my family, uh, well, my parents, I'm an only child, so my parents welcomed Larry into our home. And uh, he was 18. He was a new follower of Jesus, and he needed a place to belong. And he became my big brother, and he remains important in my life, actually. He's a, he's a great guy. And Larry had come from this tough, large, and very loud family. They, when they got together, uh, you knew. And so they, and they were in the construction business. And so when my parents wanted to put a deck on our home, uh, they asked Larry's clan to help out. And so they began hammering away. They all descended on our property. And I did my best to help out. I might have been around 12 years old at the time. And at one point, having experienced my very limited skills as a construction worker, one of the oldest brothers blurted out, well, one thing is for sure, you'll need a desk job. <laughs> and it, now, he, he, may have been, he may have been boisterously prophetic, but, but as a preteen, like many of us or many of the kids that we just sent out here, uh, you know what, for, or, or we have a number of our youth on retreat this weekend as well, you know, in that stage of your life, you're just trying to figure out what you want to be when you grow up, right? And then, of course, we come to realize that that actually never stops. But that comment of this loud guy uh, stated before many who laughed their agreement, and you all did too, thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> you haven't even seen my construction skills and you were agreeing, so... Uh, but made me think, even then, he said, what, what is it that this guy saw in me that caused, me, caused him to say that? And was there a clue in his criticism as to my calling? I remember thinking about that. How do you know your calling? The question consumes us when we're young, but it never really ends. It's like the hound at our heels all the time, Right? And for centuries, what human beings did when they grew up was simply what was necessary to help the tribe and the family survive. There's these little clues of how people were chosen by others or discovered in community or were apprenticed or sometimes simply continued where their parents had left off. And there's clues to this actually in many of our last names, isn't there? So the tailors, what were they? They hemmed and maybe hawed, right? But they hemmed. The millers, they were grain millers. They worked in the mills. Uh, the Vietnamese Nguyen, which I'm probably not pronouncing properly, uh, refers to musical instruments. If you have Vaughn as part of your surname, it means there's nobility in you. The Turners worked on lathes. The Carters carted. The Bakers Baked. The cooks, yeah. The Wagners made wagons, and the Wagglers, I'm a Waggler, we were the ones who couldn't quite spell, or, <laughs> or we simply protested very slightly. We're not that. Uh, 
that old way of knowing your call wasn't necessarily ideal because though, you know, in some ways it probably reduced the stress that many have felt in our, in, in this culture where you have this pressure on you to figure out what you're going to be when you grow up. In some ways that was solved for you, but it also limited the unique contribution that each person has been gifted to make in the world. But what cannot be denied is that calling the sense of who we are and why we are is really challenging if you try to do it alone. That's why schools have a guidance counselor to figure life out. In fact, if I would have been left to my own, I may be the builder of horrible decks and would have started a new lineage called the Deck Wreckers. And (laughs) that would not have been good. Now, don't we all long to have a community of people who say, we see this in you. It seems you've been created to expend energy and the days of your life in this way. And I suspect that many of us in this room are where we are or doing what we do because somebody spoke to us something like that. We're in this Know and Known series where we're uh, taking this journey through the mission, vision, and values of Kelowna Gospel Fellowship Church. We're doing this because we have a renewed sense of the way of talking about our life and calling as a church community based on the congregational work that was done over the last year. And our mission, of course, it's simple, to know Jesus and make him known. Thank you for participating. And we're invited to move from knowing about Jesus to knowing him as Savior, Lord, and friend. And then knowing him in his layered majesty, we're called to make him known and discover that God seeks to use bakers and millers and even fishermen in that regard, right? Last week, we began unpacking, and Paul did a great job helping us see some of these stories of the ways in which God does this, the co-creating, the way we will live this out, this knowing of Jesus and making him known is through communities of people where we're awakened and equipped to live out the unique calling God has for us. And last week, we focused on that co-creating communities part, and today we're going to focus in on that second part of the vision, which is where each of us is awakened and equipped to live out the unique calling God has for us, because we believe that the world will know Jesus through a people who wake up and get equipped and live out their calling in the context of community. So are you awake? Are you equipped? And do you know your calling? Because calling is often hard to discern, but calling is not something, and this is crucial, calling is not something you discover and then do. It is something you discover as you do. And it's not best discovered in an individualized, lonely journey, but calling is actually something communal. Calling is the work of being family, of being a community of people, especially where Jesus is named as Lord. And since we're creatures and only coming to know ourselves, calling is rooted and sourced in knowing and relating to our Creator. So take your scriptures, Mark chapter 1. This is actually the scripture that the kids are looking at right now, and we're going to use it as part of our morning together as well. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. And Simon, throughout the New Testament, will also be known as Peter. Okay? He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. 
Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now clearly, it even says it, Simon and Andrew were fishers, probably from a long line of fishers, who Jesus invites into a more expansive calling. Come follow me and I will make you fish for people. And they left their nets and they followed. But let's not assume that they therefore abandoned their fishing job. Actually, the scriptures say that's not true. Because at various points throughout the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we discover these guys back fishing. They're still fishing. And Jesus' invitation wasn't into some cloaked monkhood. But on numerous occasions, they returned to their fishing. It's what they do. Jesus didn't call them to abandon their fishing, but to come more fully alive as men who fished. And Jesus called them into the fully awake life, where God is known in the person of Jesus. Life becomes a participation in the kingdom of God that advances into the world through fishermen and tax collectors and political zealots and photocopier repairmen and teachers and plumbers and doctors and even 12-year-olds who need to stay away from decks. And so here's what we need to awake to. These are really cru four crucial things for us to understand. Number one, our calling, our purpose, and our vocation as human beings is best awakened in relationship to the God who made us. Because without knowing God, you will still find something to do because you're made in the image of God and you will be a doer. It's what's normal to being human. But you'll eventually begin to question what it's all about. Why am I doing this? Just for a paycheck? Just to go skiing again? Just to go to Mexico again? Just to squeak by? Is that all this is? Second, our calling is best equipped or best awakened in community. And so Jesus calls his disciples and forms a union of opposites. We talked about that last week, right? Jesus forms a union of opposites. Third, our calling is best awakened as we do. And so Jesus routinely called people to himself and then gave them stuff to do. We're going to look at that shortly. And in doing so, they flourished, became more alive, and actually realized that as fishers, they had more to contribute to the world. And fourth, our calling, once awakened, needs equipping. Jesus didn't get people just to do stuff because he had stuff for them to do. He got them involved in what he was doing, which then apprenticed them for greater things, which is what discipleship is. Discipleship, the following of Jesus, is an apprenticeship in becoming a fully awake and whole human being as a little Christ in the world. That's what discipleship is about. And so to, to know this more deeply... Turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, <clears throat> verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, 
Leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went and they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on. Just stop there. So this is the 12, right? The 12 that Jesus chose as his closest companions. And this included the fishers, right? Simon, Simon Peter, and Andrew. And Jesus is still, today, following this pattern of calling and apprenticing. So he calls people together with him to know him and make him known. And he gives them power. He gives you power and authority over the brokenness of the spiritual and physical world. We are to bring the reality of another world into this one, to bring a cup of heaven to earth. And third, he sends them out to rely on God's provision, not on stuff or human approval. Did you notice that? Just go. Learn faith and God's power as you proclaim that God's reign has come and powerfully demonstrate what God's love and liberty looks like. And so Jesus calls, Jesus gives, and Jesus sends. That's his pattern. And the activity of the 12, who are only beginning to understand the fullness of calling, has such a social impact that Herod the king, the Tetrarch, hears about it. Now think about that line. That is a crazy line. Verse 7, they're sent to little villages. Just go proclaim the kingdom, heal, pray for people, be welcomed where you're welcome, just live it out. And it's the king who hears about it. That's a phenomenal line. This simple union of opposites are making a noticeable impact on the social fabric. Isn't that powerful? Now we might think, wow, wow. Now these guys can really make it happen since they are clearly trending. Hashtag the 12, right? <laughs> well, let's get them out there. But once they return, look at what happens in verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. And then he took them with them, with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. So once they come back, Jesus takes them away to debrief and to rest, probably do some fishing as well, right? Now the crowds press in while they're there, and so Jesus turns it into a series of equipping events. Because beginning in verse 12, we get to the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And he begins this incredible miracle, the only miracle mentioned in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle recorded in all four together, okay? Uh, Jesus begins that miracle by saying to the disciples what? You feed them. Now, what do they realize in that moment? Now, they find five loaves and two fish. They're fishermen, m many of them. They have a pretty good handle on how much food is needed for a large group of people. Immediately, they come up against what they cannot do. And Jesus form performs the miracle, feeds 5,000, and Jesus gets more majestic in their sight, right? <laughs> They come back thinking we're all that and a block of cheese, and suddenly they realize we're nothing. We're nothing. Look at what this guy can do. Look at how amazing he is. And then Jesus, in verses 18 to, uh, through seven, 27, he begins that by asking, hey, or, uh, um, he says to them in verse 20, uh, who do you think that I am? And Peter says, Simon says, you're God's Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the one. And then Jesus even equips further. And he says to them in verses 23 to 25, well, beginning in verse 22, he says, now, just so you know, 
Just so you know, okay, you know who I am, you've seen what I've done, and you know that you're part of this co-creating thing God's doing in the world. Now guess what? Here's what happens to the Son of Man. What happens to him? He is crucified and he will rise. And then in verse 23, he says, he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when, they come, when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. And this is where, in these words, Jesus challenges this notion that we can somehow, on our own, figure out what we want to be when we grow up the way that we culturally have come to understand that. Because Jesus says that whoever wants to save their life will what? Lose it. In other words, if you strive for life as you want it, you are deceived. To save your life is the way to lose it. To never find what you're looking for. Consider the unhappiness of those who have it all only to realize they have nothing. Consider the untested, unrooted life that crumbles in storms. Consider the managed life that never walks by faith or risks greater things. We are constantly wooed to save our lives and gain the whole world. And Jesus says, if you embrace that calling, you will lose it. What good is it to gain the whole world and lose and forfeit your very self, your wholeness and purpose of being? You won't save your life. Listen, you don't save your life and then say, okay, Jesus, take this perfectly manicured and managed human existence that I have packaged and use it occasionally as it fits into my busy schedule. God can't use that because it's a lie. It's a sham. It's a proud farce. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, Discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. Peter and Andrew weren't looking for Jesus when he called them. Jesus was looking for them. Jesus doesn't need our packaged lives, but he does call us to be fully awake and alive as human beings made in the image of God. And to do this, he invites us to take up our cross and follow him, to lay down the nets and follow. And in following him, you will awake to what the fully awake life is. Through Jesus, God is making you an offer. Die to the life you're working to save and follow him. He's calling you awake. He's seeking to equip you. Now, all of this applies significantly to know Jesus and make him known and then to live this out in a co-creating community world where we are awakened and equipped to live out the calling. This calling is discovered in relationship with God. Calling is best awakened in community. Calling is best awakened as we do. And our calling once awakened will need equipping because Jesus calls 
He gives, he sends, and then he'll pull us back to show us more. And this too is the trajectory that Jesus sets for the church, and the church has continually lived this out. I began my vocational ministry at age 23. I was the only pastor of this small church, I, and I had only just begun. Remember, I'm 23. What do I know, right? Nothing. Uh, and so I, one of the, in the first few months, this 80-year-old widow asked me to visit, and Margaret was, uh, she'd lived on her own for many years, and she had begun a romance with a guy named Bruce, and they had rekindled a fire because Margaret and Bruce had dated in high school, but then they had married other people. Now they were both widowed. They found each other again. Ah, yeah. It was so sweet. Uh, and so I visit her, and it was so sweet until she asked me this. Do you think it's okay for us to have sex before we're married? I mean, no, no out-of-wedlock pregnancy was possible, right? She says, what do you think? I'm like, oh. And that was the moment I knew I needed more equipping as a pastor. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and my mentor, Victor, was the guy I turned to. And he counseled and equipped me to point people to Jesus, even when grandmas are asking about sex. <laughs> but listen, my calling is greater than the job that I have as a pastor. That's my vocational expression of my calling. But my calling is greater than that. I need to be equipped to live as a husband and father. I need to... Jen and I have had to be equipped over the years to live our calling as stewards of the money that God has entrusted to us. We have a calling as an adoptive family, and we have often needed equipping to live that wonderful call. In every one of these callings, we have needed a community of people who offer gifts and wisdom. Because we wrongly assume that calling is about discovering a specific job to make a living. That is a cultural, Western cultural understanding that is not a biblical understanding of your calling. Because your job is only part of your calling. Calling is more simple and more complex and greater than that because our lives have ripples of calling. Here's what I desire for you to understand. The first call of your life is the most important, and that is that Jesus calls you to follow him. That is your first calling. It's Jesus and you. He calls you to himself, and this requires that you take up your cross. And some of you have not done that. He calls you. This is the first place of calling in life, to know yourself in relationship with with your creator. And so much of our lives hinge on what we do with that invitation. But there are other callings in your life that flow from there. And think of your life as a series and ripples of calling that extend outward from that first call to know Jesus. The second ripple is creation. You've been placed in a place, a geography, and the world is having an anxiety attack over climate change. Whose policies will best stop rivers from rising. And this is a massive challenge. But if you look for some policy in Ottawa or Paris or Beijing to solve this, we're all going to be waiting a long time. 
We are called to tend a place. It's one of the most basic and first callings in creation. You can only be where you are. Care for that plot of ground. It's that simple. Start there. Care for creation. Secondly, you have a calling to your household, and God has placed you with significant others. Whether you're married or single, it doesn't matter. There is a household of significant people in your life. Some of us are busy chasing dreams, and we're missing the households or the friends that God has given us as our first calling. Many social ills would be dealt with if people paid attention to the calling of their household. Third area, next area of calling is your fellowship. God has placed you in a union of opposites, a local fellowship of believers, and you are called to help this family be healthy, whole, and on mission. The different gifts that we've been given is for the building up of the body of Christ in the world. And if you're not serving in the family, you're not living one of the most simple calls of being a child of God. Serve the family. Do you let your kids get away without contributing to the family chores? How's that gone for you? It's part of the calling of family. And serving the family of God is no less a calling. You have something to contribute. The next ripple of your life is your city or your people. You're called to make this place better. Kelowna should thrive and be a better place to live because you, as a believer, live and work here. You're not just a teacher. There, are no, there is no just in the kingdom of God. There is justice, but there is no just. Okay? You're not just a teacher or just a barista or just a student or whatever the just you might say you are. Jesus calls and sends people into the spheres of life in this city every single day. That's you. And so make your business a shining example of how employees are treated and work is done. Make your coaching, if you're a coach, and some of you are watching online because you got a coach today, make your coaching a shining example of how kids are seen as whole persons and not tools for parental dreams of big contract glory. And make your volunteering a shining example of how you love the poor and serve creation or whatever it is where God has opened up your heart. Jesus' calling includes this city and the people of our nation that God has put us among. And finally, you have a ripple that extends into the world. And you might say, I don't know how that's true. But think about it. You have a part of the world beyond Kelowna in your heart. Everyone in this room does because there are things you follow on the news about somewhere else and care about. There's a person or a missionary you know somewhere in the world. There's a people group that has caught your heart. God intends you to be involved in that calling. Maybe you just pray. That's okay. Maybe you contribute financially. That's awesome. This is what it means to awaken to the holy and the holy calling that God has for you that extends even to the world. This is not complicated. It's already in you. It's just coming fully alive when Jesus says, Come follow me, and I'll make you a baker, a cook, a fisher, a teacher of people. 
These ripples of a disciple's life is how Jesus impacts the world. And we are simply called to discover, as Frederick Buechner wrote, that the place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. It is around these co-creating purposes that we will work together as Kelowna Gospel Fellowship Church. We are of Kelowna, for Kelowna, and reach beyond Kelowna. We are centered on a good news that is for all. We are a fellowship, a family. We gather and feast. By the way, cookies and ice cream in the hub after this. <laughs> and that's communion to the max today, okay? <laughs> and we are part of God's great and glorious church we are a small part of God's global advancing kingdom called to be to this time, in this place, this moment in history to become more and more alive as the people of God for the glory of God. You are called. Now wake up, get equipped, and do it together with others. Let's pray together as we need his help. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for these, your servants, Thank you for these people who are called and equipped, for these people who are uniquely, uniquely gifted and placed to be salt and light, shining examples of another way, another kingdom, of a good king. Lord, we humble ourselves and we come and prepare our hearts for the Lord's table, to fellowship together, remembering Jesus, that you gave your life for us, that your blood was shed for us for the forgiveness of sins, that there need not be anything that stands between us and you, that we can have friendship and fellowship with God Almighty. What a wonder. Thank you for the cross and thank you for this invitation. Lord, thank you that you invite us to take up our cross and follow you. And to do it together with others, not alone, understanding that we have a calling together in this world. That you've called us and you want to equip us and you've put us together with others. So that for this time and place, Jesus is not just understood in a room like this, but is understood in the relationships and spheres and places of life that you've put us. God, forgive us where we've narrowed this too far and awaken us and expand what it means for us to live the calling you have for us together. We worship you. God, we worship you. You're so worthy and great. In Jesus' name, amen.